as a boy who had grown up in the country and he was tired of using the outhouse out by the creek. It was hot in the summer, cold in the winter, and it stunk all the time. And so one day when the creek rose, the boy decided to go out there in the afternoon and push with all his might to push the outhouse into the river to get rid of it, and he went home. Well, later on that evening, his father arrived, and he looked at the boy and said, uh, Son, I think it's time to go out to the woodshed. The boy knew he was about to be punished, and he looked at his father and said, uh, Well, why do I need to go out to the woodshed, father? And his dad looked at him and he said, well, the outhouse is missing and has been pushed over and I believe you're the one who did it. The boy put his head down said, well, Father, I, I learned today in school that George Washington, after he cut down the cherry tree and admitted it, uh, that his father forgave him. The dad looked at the son and said, well, that, that may be true, but his father wasn't in the cherry tree. <laughs> this uh, boy teaches us a few things. It teaches, he teaches us that inside all of us, uh, there is something that just wants to do wrong. There's something that uh, wants to do things that just aren't right. He teaches us that what we do when we do these things that are wrong, that it affects others, that others suffer uh, along with us or because of us, because of our actions. And then thirdly, I think the boy teaches us that there are consequences that we often don't want to face because of the decisions that we have made. Those of you who have been with us and have been going through the story with us, you know, last week we talked about David and, and David in Scripture uh, through First uh, Samuel and then through much of Second Samuel, David is really portrayed as a hero and a godly figure and a righteous man and somebody who just seems to have it together. But as you keep reading, you realize that David's not perfect. Uh, that he doesn't have it all together, that although he's a man after God's own heart and loves God, that there is something inside of him that compels him to do wrong and he lets his guard down. And so when we look at David, we just don't see a man who seems to get it right, but we look at a man who gets it wrong. And we look at a man who teaches us deeply about sin. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm I know what you're thinking, like, okay, is pastor just going to beat us up this morning? And that's not my goal. But uh, one of my goals is for you to see what sin is and what it does and how to deal with it. Because David teaches us these things. Uh, sin is something that may or may not be talked about a whole lot in society or even in the church. But um, it is something that is prevalent throughout Scripture. And we need to know what it is and how to deal with it um, and what to do and how to behave through it. And so as we look at this subject here this morning, I want to define it for us. And I define it in your notes 
there, but sin is anything, any thoughts, actions, or attitudes that do not express or conform to the holy character of God as expressed through his moral law. In other words, sin is just any rebellion against what the word of God claims to be right in some ways. And so it's it's us knowing the scriptures, it's us knowing who God is, it's it's us knowing right and wrong through studying the scriptures together and yet just not doing it. And we all fall into this. This is something that we all do. We all know what is right, and yet we do what is wrong. We push the outhouse into the river. Right? And so let me, let me take you through some ways in which, which David teaches us about sin. And he begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and, and David teaches us about the idea of sin of omission. Right? Sin of omission. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go to out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. But then it goes on to say, the writer is letting, letting us in on something here. It says, but then David remains in Jerusalem. And so David has sent everybody out to battle, out to war to protect the kingdom. And David it was supposed to go with them as their king and leader, but he, he stays behind. Here, what the writer is trying to imply is that David, whether he realizes it or not, is committing the sin of omission, which basically is when you don't, excuse me, when you don't do something that you know that you should. So David knows that he should go, but he remains. And anytime that you don't do something that you know you should, you realize that you are actually committing a sin. James, Jesus' brother, he put, puts it as this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. We, we often don't think of sin kind of in this category. Uh, but it is, you know, it, and this is the way you might roar its kind of ugly head here. It, it, it might just not be caring for the poor. Right? Whether it be internally or even physically, by the way you give by the way you go throughout your life. And in many ways, the story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus reminding us that we should care for the poor, even if it costs us something, whether it be time or finances. It could be that you know that God is prompting you to serve your spouse in some way. I think we, should all, we can all agree that God calls us to serve our spouses in some way. But in, instead, you decide to stay on the couch. Right? It's just not doing something that you know you should do. It could be that, you know what, you, you said uh, you were going to pray for somebody. Or God prompted you to show up at somebody's house, maybe, even and pray for them. It could be a family member, a friend, your neighbor. And you say, you know, God, not, not today. Uh, maybe it's just not doing your job. Like, there's small aspects of your job that you know you should do, that you were hired to do, but nobody really sees you not doing it, and, and so you just put it off and you don't really do it um, because nobody will really know or they won't find out in the immediate future. It, it could be just keeping somebody from potential unnecessary danger. Uh, one author put it like this. If you were in a raft boat with five other people and you noticed the leak and you didn't tell anybody... Right? That's what sin of omission often looks like. 
Now, what this sin of omission does is it leads to a different kind of sin in David's life, and this is sin of commission. And this is basically how most of us probably think of sin in our life, and it's doing the things that we know we shouldn't do, is what sin of commission is. It's doing the things that we know that we shouldn't do. If you're watching the video, what you discover is that David is home. He's not off the war like he should be. He's not with his troops like he should be. And then he goes up onto his roof and he's looking up out out over his kingdom in which his men are protecting and and fighting for. And as he looks over at another roof there, he, he sees a young lady and she is bathing. And David finds this lady attractive. So he sends one of his servants after her to bring her to him. And he sleeps with her. He's in a position of power. And so he sleeps with her. She goes back to her house. She must come back to him about a month later or so and lets him know that, King David, I am pregnant. And so what does David try to do? He sends for her husband, who happens to be one of his commanders. His name is Uriah. And he brings Uriah off of the battlegrounds and he sends Uriah to his house and he says, Uriah, I want you to go take some time off and spend it with your wife, hoping that Uriah would sleep with Bathsheba and Uriah would never know that it wasn't his son. He would never know that David had done the thing that he had done. But here's what Uriah does. Uriah believes that he should be out the war. Uriah believes that he should be on the battlefield with his troops that he is leading. And so Uriah never goes into their bedroom. Instead, at night, he sleeps on his front doorstep because his men are sleeping out in the wilderness themselves so that he can be reminded of the sacrifices that his men are making. David sees this and he becomes worried. And so here's what David does. He sends him back out to the front lines and he sends a letter to his other commanders. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I I want you to send Uriah to the front line there and when the battle starts i want you to pull back and allow uriah to be killed this is expressed in second samuel 11:15 set uriah on the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die and so what happens in this moment is that uriah is killed at battle now david hears word of this and he thinks everything is back to normal. He thinks nobody's going to know about what happened and his deeds are not going to be exposed, that nobody will know that he's a murderer and an adulterer. Nobody will know about this. Uh, But as you keep reading, you discover that that God is not going to let David get away with this. And and, and for a reason, God God loves David too much just to allow him to get away with the things that are destructive to other people and to his kingdom. And so what God does is he sends a man named Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet. Nathan basically just speaks on God's behalf. So Nathan goes to David speaking on God's behalf. And David doesn't really know what's going on at this time. He just thinks Nathan is telling him about someone in their kingdom. And Nathan says, there were, there were two men, David. There are two men in your kingdom. One is very rich and the other is very poor. The rich man had a lot of flocks and a lot of herds. And a lot of wealth. And the poor man, with the money that he did have, he bought a lamb and he treated this lamb as a pet in their home. He would feed the lamb, keep the lamb, the lamb would sleep in their home. It was his pride and joy 
But when the rich man had a visitor come, the rich man didn't want to slaughter one of his own lambs or anything from his own flock, but instead the rich man decided to take advantage of the poor man and take his lamb from him and prepare it for the visitor and for their feast. David immediately becomes outraged at Nathan's story. And he tells Nathan that this man deserves to die. At the very least, this man is going to repay the poor man fourfold. And here is how Nathan responds to David. He says, you are the man. Because this is from God. You are the man who took advantage of the poor man and took the lamb and slaughtered it. David points out to David, you're, you're a murderer. Do you, do you realize what you've done? Now, how do you feel about David right now? This is a man after God's own heart, is what we're told. Now, for us as the church and as believers, and get to get the most out of David's story and out of this text, I need to show you what Nathan is doing and what God does in our lives as well. Right, when he speaks into our lives. This is one of the things that God will do. Because here's what God is doing for David. Is he is exposing David's sin. And here's what God will do in our lives as well. If we have a relationship with God, he will expose our sin. So if you're taking notes, like put it down. Like God will expose my sin. And here's the reason why is because if he doesn't, you will learn to condemn others. Do you see how, how David immediately, the man deserves to die. He deserves to pay back everything four times as much. We are, are so quick to condemn others, to treat others with contempt. And yet God wants to keep us from doing that, and the way in which he will do that is he will expose the sin in your life and in my life. Jesus does this in his ministry. If you look at Luke 18, uh, 9 through 14, I, I just put the end of it in your notes, I believe, but here's Jesus telling a parable, and it tells us that he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Then he goes on to tell a story very similar to Nathan's. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing beside, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, but not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but instead beat his chest. God, have mercy on me. I'm, I'm a sinner. And Jesus tells them, I tell you this, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I want you to see a few things here. Jesus says that these Pharisees who go to pray, that they are treating, treating this tax collector with, uh, 
contempt because they think they're good. They've never done anything wrong. They don't need the grace of God in their life. And what Jesus is saying is, no, this, this isn't true. And what he points out is if, if you're not able to see the sin in your life, you will be unable to love others. Like you will unfairly judge others. You will hold them in contempt, is what Jesus says. And so Jesus here is telling the tax collector, like, you're coming to me, you're coming to me all wrong. The tax collector comes to me in the way in which everyone should, asking for grace. And occasionally being reminded of the things in their life that you've just got wrong. One of the things that we should also see here is that Jesus doesn't condone what the tax collector has done. Maybe he has taken more money than he should from people as he collects. Maybe he's done a number of things. Jesus doesn't say that those things are right, but the way in which the tax collector comes to Jesus and says, hey, I've sinned. Have mercy on me, God. The idea is that he comes to Jesus humbly and he seems to really dislike what he has done and is repenting. You see, God exposes our sin or shows us our sin, not to beat us up, but just to humble us so that we can love others. So we're not self-righteous and we're not pointing out what others have done all the time and forgetting about the grace that God has poured into our lives. But God wouldn't allow David to do that. that, and He's not going to allow you to do that. As we see David here, David reacts to Nathan like we all should. When David discovers, like, I am the man who has committed murder. I am the one who killed Uriah. This is how David responds in 2 Samuel 12, 13. He says, I have sinned. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. And this is the way that we all react, like, when when God does expose what's going on in our lives or our hearts, because these are attitudes or actions. This is what we do. We confess. We let God know God, yes. I've done it. And ask God for forgiveness. We see this confession in Psalm 51. I didn't put this in your notes because I didn't have the space for it. But I do want to read to you some of Psalm 51 because it talks about the way, it shows us the way in which we should confess and the nature of sin in our lives um, in a very beautiful manner. David prays to God in Psalm 51 and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So you see here, David appeals to God honestly for for God's mercy and for God's grace in his life. And then he continues and he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, did you catch that? When David goes to God here and he's confessing, he's saying, God, I've sinned against you. I didn't just, I didn't just kill Uriah. I didn't just hurt somebody else. I didn't just take advantage of Bathsheba. Like, I, I sinned against you. And if you're reading this, you're going like, wait a second, what about Uriah? Uh, what about Bathsheba? And, and David isn't brushing that under the rug, but he ultimately knows 
that if God is loving creator and if God is judge, he is the one that we also have to go to and must go to for forgiveness. You see, God loved Uriah. It was, he was his creation. Imagine for, the moment, for, a, for a moment that a famous painter gave you his painting and you destroyed the painting. Who have you offended? Not only have you destroyed the, the painting, but you have offended the painter, the creator. And now imagine if that painter got to decide your judgment. This is what is going on, and so this is how David confesses, and this is how David sees God himself. Verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, sin runs deep. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they passed down sin, and we're all born into it. This is something that we all have within us. This is something that we can't get rid of unless we continue in confession in the way David does. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God, or excuse me, David here is asking for God to change his heart. For God to change him internally. Jesus teaches that whatever goes on in your heart, eventually comes out. Right? Everything starts here and here. And however we think and however we feel about God and others, our actions will follow. And so David is praying, he said, give me a new heart. A heart that wants to please you and wants to serve others. And then David goes on in verse 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, the key, key to change if you want to turn from sin, if you want to fight that urge that is in you to do wrong, it's to see the sin in your life. It's to allow God to expose it. It's really just to grow in hatred for it and confess it and to turn to God and just ask God, hey, God, change my heart with this subject. Change my heart in this area of my life in which I'm falling short. And this is what David does. This is David's prayer. In other words, bottom line is like you have to come clean with God. If you have something going on in your life or a place in your heart that is dark, you have to come clean with God. And it is it's often a very good idea to come clean with somebody else, like to expose it, throw it out there to somebody you trust. I mean, I don't know about you, but like when you clean a room, uh, do you turn on all the lights or do you keep it dark in that room? You turn on all the lights, don't you? Because, I mean, you want to see the dust. You need to see, I mean, you need to see the stuff that you left in the corner, whatever. I mean, you need to see everything if you're really going to clean the room. Right? Uh, this is the reason my wife is going to kill me, but we don't let anybody in our basement because we don't have good lights down there. Right? We don't, somebody might see something that we don't even know about. Uh, uh. You know that. You've never been down in our basement. You come over every week, right? So, but no, you, you turn all the lights on. Like, you, you've got to expose this. That's what confession does. Brings it out to the light. Like God, God isn't wanting to, like, smite you. God is wanting to change you. God is wanting to forgive you. God is wanting, he's, he's wanting to clean you up. 
He's wanting to change your character. Now, as you read the story of David here, what you discover is that confession, it, it, it will change your character, it'll clean you up, it, it, it'll set you on the right track. But here's the thing. Uh, confession doesn't always save you from the consequences. I mean, you know this is true, right? Uh, God may forgive you when you confess, but it's not always going to save you from the consequences. You might not always be spared from just what's going to happen because of the decisions that you have made. As Christians here and as people who trust in God, so here, here's just my encouragement for you, and this is what David has to learn to do, is you've got to learn to deal with the consequences of dignity. Things are going to happen because of the decisions that you made, and, or maybe somebody else has made for you. And you're, just, you're going to have to trust God through them. David loses a child. He has a, he's, he's got a daughter who is raped by a son. He's got two sons who actually rebel against him. And I mean, can you imagine then your sons, your own sons, then getting an army together so that they can rebel against their father's kingdom? This is what takes place in David's life. And David has to learn to deal with the consequences. And you would think that David would even maybe even be bitter at the end of his life. But he's not. You know, for our, our, our own intents and purposes, uh, sometimes we have made decisions and we're just we're living with the consequences. You, you may have forgiven somebody else or you may be over a, a certain situation in your life, but you know that sometimes others just aren't going to forgive you. Right. Uh, you may have made a mistake in your workplace, blatantly made it and then realized what you did and went back and apologized that they still decide to let you go. How, how are you going to deal with that? May have made a purchase that you shouldn't have made. And so you're still going to have to pay for it. Sometimes we mess up and maybe you have a, a child out of wedlock and and this child is at a, at a disadvantage. Psychologically, socially, a lot of times educationally. Future relationships are often more difficult for them to maintain. Sometimes your decisions just lead to consequences that are going to be there. And how are you going to deal with them? David does give us some insight on how to deal with the consequences that we have brought on ourselves or that others have even brought on to us through their sin. He gets to the end of his life and he's celebrating. He still does have the kingdom, but I mean, he's had all of this turmoil within his family and he's, he's celebrating. And this is part of his celebration in First Chronicles 29, 10 through 15. I want you to see this. It says, Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Both riches and honor come from you. Said, And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. Then David goes and says, But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all the things come from you. 
and of your own we have been given, or, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were, so forth. Two things that I want to point out here that David does towards the end of his life that I believe helped him deal with the consequences and deal through his life and walk through the consequences with dignity. One is that he praises God. He praises God for what is going right in his life. He praises God because he realizes that everything good in his life has come from God. Now, I don't know if you're, you're like me or like other people, but a lot of times what you hear is that when things are going wrong in somebody's life, who gets the credit? God, right? It's, it's God's fault that this happened to me. But when typically when things go right in your life, who gets the credit? You do. David looks back on his life and he goes, you know what? I've done wrong. But God has been so good to me in so many ways. This is, oh, by the way, just kind of a change in the way that moderns view the world. We, We view all of our success from our hard work, from everything that we have done, and we are getting what we deserve when we get good things. But the people of the scriptures, they see all the good and they say all of that is from God. And they say, if we got what we deserve, we'd be in trouble. And so the second thing that David appeals to and gives thanks for is the grace of God. Did you see that? He says, who am I? Who am I that you would have given all of this to this kingdom to? Who am I to deserve this? Dave, remember David looked at Nathan and he said, the man who took the lamb deserves to die. David looks at his life and he thanks God that he doesn't get what he deserves. If David got what he deserves, he would have deserved death. But David, instead, he's able to look back on his life and he's been able to look at everything. He's able to look at God and, and he's able to thank God for the grace that God has given him in his life. The forgiveness that God has placed on him. You know, some of you maybe grew up with a song like Count Your Blessings One by One. David is able to do that. And so he was able to walk through all the hardships because he was able to praise God in the midst of turmoil. He was able to thank God for the grace of God in his life. And he didn't believe that he deserved the things, the good things that he was given, given, and yet God was still giving him grace. God was still changing his heart. God was still using him to change the lives of other people. We are still talking about David today. So this morning, as we end and as we reflect on the life of David and, and what he teaches us, I, I just want us to apply this in these four ways. First, right, just as you go to God in prayer, as you are in a relationship with God and and God exposes the sin in your life, just admit it honestly to God. In some ways, David is compared against Saul, the king before him, and Saul made excuses, and David just goes to God and says, I have sinned, Lord. Forgive me. Change my heart. This is repentance. This is what 
it means to be a Christian. God, forgive us. Forgive me. Change me. Second is live with the consequences that come into our lives because of the decisions that we have made with dignity. Just because you've made a mistake or because you've sinned does not mean your life is over. Does not mean that you can't be forgiven. Does not mean that people will hate you for the rest of your life. And I can tell you this, that God certainly will not. That God forgives you when you come to him honestly and ask for forgiveness. Third is to experience. Experience the forgiveness of God. And the restoring grace of God. God forgives. I, I, I don't know, you might have something in your life that you personally are not giving up. Like, the consequences might not even be there. Everybody else has forgiven you. Uh, and, and yet you are holding yourself accountable for it and you're beating yourself up for it. But here's what I want you to know, that God has forgiven you. And if God has forgiven you and if God is willing not to beat you up for it, like if the Creator is willing to forgive you, it's time to forgive yourself. And this doesn't matter what you've done. Do you see that David was a murderer? David killed a man. You know, there is enough people in here. I mean, perhaps, right, you've aborted a child or encouraged somebody to abort a child. But God can forgive you. God wants to forgive you. Perhaps you've stolen something or you've wronged somebody. God wants to forgive you. He wants to change your heart and change your life. And and He wants to use you to encourage other people and to restore other people. As a church, this is what we want to be about. We want people who were caught up in addiction. We want want people who have made decisions in their past that, that seem to just have a stronghold on them. We want them forgiven and free. And we want to commission them into the ministry. And then finally, fourth, we want to rejoice in the grace of God. There have been things in my life, and I'm sure there are things in your life, that you should just be happy about that God forgives, that God restores. That that when God sees you, He he sees you as a righteous person in whom is being changed into His likeness. We should, be think that, we should be thankful that we don't always get what we deserve. So we should rejoice in the grace of God, that He is changing lives, that He is changing hearts, that He is forgiven. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask that the worship team come up here and uh, lead us in one last song. And we're just going to, I think they're singing We Surrender All. We're going to give God our hearts and our lives this morning. Um, I'm going to ask that you pray with me. Maybe there's, uh, something that you need to confess to the Lord. And so during this prayer, just in your heart, just give it to God. Just give it to the Lord. Uh, maybe um, you've never asked God for forgiveness in your life. Uh, but here's the thing, like to become a Christian, the reason that David is such a wonderful person is he teaches us what we believe as, as Christians, that God has created us, he loves us, And yet there's something inside of us, the sin that rebels against him. And unless we repent and receive Jesus as our Savior, our heart will never be changed. 
our lives will never be made whole. And so maybe it's time for you to, to repent and turn to God for the first time. And so I would encourage you to do that this morning during our prayer. So let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, we give you thanks because you do love us. And uh, yes, although we sin, uh, you love uh, sinners. Father, so this morning, um, we pray that you forgive us of the things that we should do and we haven't. We pray that you forgive us for the things that we have done. Father, we give you thanks for exposing anything that is in our heart that um, is wrong, is evil, is sinful. Not so that you can beat us up, but that so you can teach us how to love others. So that we can grow humble. So that we can be reminded of your grace in our lives, of your forgiveness. Father, allow us as Christians to be the most loving, the most forgiving, the most patient, the most joyful people of all people. Because you have forgiven us of so much. Father, maybe there are people here this morning and and they never confess to you. And, And in fact, they've maybe just refused to. They refuse to acknowledge their sin. But today, Father, they want to they want to give you their sin. And they want to return from it and they want to repent from it. And so, Father, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you change their hearts and their minds and that they receive your forgiveness and that they live a life of repentance and love. Father, might somebody decide to follow Christ today as we seek to follow Christ together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.